Welcome to Beef and Forage Roundup, on-farm research and demonstration with host Chantal McRae. This podcast is a production of Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives, created to share information with farmers, producers, and agriculture enthusiasts to showcase the important work that is happening at MBFI. Our podcasts drop on the first and third Wednesdays of each month. We will be sharing information through interviews with General Manager Mary Jane Orr, project leads for various projects, MBFI's team members, speakers from our extension events, industry leaders, and industry suppliers. This podcast will dig deep into on-farm research and field testing practices related to beef cattle and forage production and efficiency and sustainability of practice in the agricultural industry in Manitoba. We will be sharing information on upcoming training and workshops, field and farm demonstration tours, education materials, and events at MBFI as well as producer profiles from around the province and information on their trials, challenges, innovation, and results. We encourage you to browse our social media accounts and website for links to more information on projects, upcoming events, and important deadlines. Information on our social accounts and website can be found following the show and in the show notes. As always, we encourage you to email us if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show at information at mbfi.ca. Cameron and Lisa Hodgins of Hodgins Farm are third-generation farmers on their family farm near Lenore, Manitoba. Here they are raising their four young children, Carrie, Chase, Cole, and Connor, and farm closely with Cameron's parents, Ed and Deborah. Hodgins Farm has a cow-calf and yearling operation, along with raising grass-fed beef, pastured pork, chicken, and turkey, free-range hens, and honeybees, and direct marketing their products to consumers. The Hodgins are guided by their values and beliefs in the principles of regenerative and holistic agriculture and enjoy discussing their farming practices with consumers and other producers, as well as contributing to their local community. They believe that farming within a healthy, resilient ecosystem will result in healthy soils, plants, and animals for our future generations. I would like to welcome you both to the podcast today. And thank you so much for taking time out of what can be one of the busiest seasons on the farm in order to do the recording today. How are you? Good, good. Good, thanks. <laughs> good. I am really excited to share your producer profile with our listeners. So this is going to be the first producer profile of a Manitoba producer that we're doing on the podcast. And to also get to know more about your farming operation, which is right here in Manitoba. Before we dive into more about your farm specifically, can each of you share a little bit about your own history and background in agriculture previous to the operation you have now? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up on a farm, but other than, you know, helping dad a little bit with the odd jobs here and there, I wasn't really very involved. After university, uh, we moved out to where we we are now and and started into the farm and you know I was helping here and there but still had an off the farm job so it was you know more when we started having a family that I stepped in more to the farming and then began direct marketing as a means to allow me to stay at home with the kids from there we took a holistic management course together which you know was was good for me to really kind of dive in and get on the same page as far as looking at the big picture and the plans and and goals that we wanted to set going forward now that we were having a family. So for the future of 
of our farm and our family and, and our community. Yeah, and I guess for me, I grew up on the farm. I guess it's kind of similar to what it is now, we, but maybe it evolved into a little bit different now. Um, we had cows and pigs and chickens growing up and our job was doing pig chores. And I never, I told myself I'd never have pigs growing up. Now we have pigs and, <laughs> and got some cows and I guess, and I pursued an off-farm job and I'm in that now. And as we got realizing going along our relationship, we realized we wanted to probably live on a farm or acreage. And this just, this came up and we got going and it, uh, realizing how the benefit of growing up on a farm so we had the opportunity to come back and start farming a little bit and it's kind of evolved into what it is today and it's it's interesting and exciting to see your kids growing up and I guess I grew up was born in this yard that we're in now and really nice to see you know the, the farm and show some of the, my kids the things that I remember as a kid around the area so that's that's where we are now and it's it's just really exciting and interesting to continue on the family farm. That's great. I was actually thinking while you were talking there, whether or not to ask you if the land, like in the yard you were in was your family farm. So that's neat. So what generation would you be on that land? We're the third and our kids are hopefully the fourth year on it. But so it's just, there's, it's nice having mom and dad just down the road and the kids can really relate and go down and hang out with grandma and grandpa or help grandma and grandpa with different things. And it's, it's really it's good to see them involve, evolve and my kids and my parents interact without us being there. We're, we're lucky to have our parents close by and they play a pretty big part of our farming operation and probably our family operation, helping out with, you know, when a kid needs to be maybe taken to hockey or some kids looked after another one's going to hockey or soccer or baseball. It's nice having them close by. Nice. We have that here too. And it's, it's a bit of a lifesaver when you can, can send the kid over to grandma and grandpa's if there's something that you've got to get done that they're not going to be that helpful for. <laughs> yeah, it's usually not a hard sell to go to grandma and grandpa's. What enterprises do you have on your current farm and how have these changed since your first years of farming together? So we've, you know, got a, a few different things going on. We've got our beef, pigs, chickens, turkeys, laying hens, and we still have some honeybees started off with just a few chickens and then as the years went on you know added a few more and added in the turkeys the laying hens just kind of started out for ourselves and then got a few more and then had those available because I guess one of the the bigger enterprises as far as some of these smaller animals is the direct marketing of them so the laying hens kind of came into play there and you know same with the bees and so yeah, things have definitely changed. We had sheep, got rid of sheep. Yeah, I guess we were kind of lucky, like Lisa said earlier, when she decided to come back to the, not back to the farm, but get, getting more involved with the farm stuff. Direct marketing was an avenue and mom and dad were doing some direct marketing and they were kind of ready to phase out of that. And it, it worked out that we kind of took over some of their customers and created some of our own and, and added a few things and changed some of the production practices that were being done but as far as when I first started farming like I me mean, we were an organic operation for a while the, the grain and and cattle then we kind of phased out of the grain and went to an organic cow calf to a finishing operation selling some fat beef into the states on a live animal and that was working out pretty good and then that market kind of 
I'll say dried up or disappeared. And so then we kind of transitioned and we're doing some custom grazing and, and you know, really cut my teeth and learned quite a bit about grazing management and what the needs were of different customers, whether it was for yearling cattle or cow calf guys, what the needs were of them. And I learned quite a bit in those years we were custom grazing. And a couple of years ago, we just stopped custom grazing because it was a, it was a nice thing to bring in and add graze some grass that we had an excess of. And the last few years, we've kind of transitioned into a more cow-calf yearling operation and shipping out yearlings and picking the best ones to be marketed as beef. It seems like every year, like Lisa said, you learn something and we're just trying to figure out how to mesh all these different things together. And that's what really excites me on how to get, you know, a cow-calf to a, a finished beef economically feasible and make some profit out of it. Because if we're not making a profit, it's a hobby. And I mean, I like farming, but there's other hobbies a guy could do or ladies could do if if uh, if that's all it is. So it's it's interesting and it's intriguing. There'd be a lot of hobbies that are a lot less stressful. <laughs> Isn't that right? Yeah. <laughs> Where do you do most of your direct marketing? Most of our direct marketing is done directly to the consumer. So we, you know, as close as like locally right around us here in like southwestern Manitoba to like across the province brand in Winnipeg. We do sell a little bit into the Vita Health stores in Winnipeg. But yeah, most of our direct marketing is directly to the consumer. And do you do that online or did you like pound the pavement and make phone calls to people and get your name out there? Or how did you open up that avenue to sell your products? I guess a little bit of everything you just said. Like you said, when we kind of took over some of the direct marketing, that his parents were already doing, they had already kind of established that relationship and connection with Vita Health. So that's kind of where that had stemmed from. And, you know, as far as some of the smaller ones, some of it was word of mouth, some of it's just social media and getting, getting the word out there. I did in the beginning do a little bit of at the farmer's market in Verdon, you know, some wellness shows, local wellness shows, you know, again in southwestern Manitoba and just to let people know that we were out there and what we had to offer and just kind of let it let it grow from there word of mouth is probably your best advertiser right and then we took the steps and developed a website and so we've just been trying to grow that and advertise that and get that out there as well so good for you and we're going to talk more about the website closer to the end so we can give listeners the link to that then. I didn't realize you guys had bees. So who does the beekeeping work? Well, the beekeeping <laughs> started a few years ago as a joint operation between my brothers and I, and it worked out relatively well. And then if, once they started having families, it, they were on the back way. So we, we stepped in and we took over all of it. And uh, this last year, we've had some, some pretty good neighbors because I have bees, I'm not a beekeeper by any means. And it, the honey is probably one of the easiest things to sell, it seems. And I think it's got to do with the perennial pastures surrounding us. And it just creates a different tasting honey and people, people really enjoy it. So to lose the honey was going to be a big, big hurt. So me just having bees was, uh, was hurting us because I wasn't a good enough beekeeper manager where we we're struggling wintering the bees. So this past year, like I said, we've got some good neighbors. They come over and they put some bees on our land and we're uh, planning to get some of that honey from, buy that honey from them and, and market it as, as our Hodgins Farm honey as uh, the stuff produced on our land. 
bees would be like my least favorite job of all time. They're super interesting. And I always found it very fascinating, but it was just, I didn't have the same knowledge Cameron had. And it was like, okay, you know, either I take that jump into learning more about them. But like you said, we had some, some really good, good neighbors who are quite knowledgeable and, and yeah, so we decided to give that a go this year. And And I don't know a lot about bees. Don't let me. (laughs) Well, that sounds like a great partnership to have then if there's people in the area that are knowledgeable and willing to take that on for you. Yeah, for sure. What does regenerative farming mean to you? And what drew you to introducing these principles onto your farming operation? When I looked at that question, you know, regenerative farming means to me that we're farming in a way that works with nature. And we're looking at all aspects of what's going on in the environment, you know, from the soils to the plants, the water, the animals that are surrounding and using the animals that we have on our farm as a tool in that system. So, you know, we're using the pigs to help root up the land and they're able, they're helping us, but they're able to be a pig and, you know, do what pigs are, are meant to do. And the same with, you know, all of our poultry and those kinds of things where we're allowing them to be out in nature and helping us regenerate that land by, you know, putting the nutrients back into the land. And in turn, we're really getting a happy, healthy, great tasting product at the end of the day. So yeah, just as, as nature intended, I guess, is kind of how I envision it. And, you know, always making, making improvements and trying to better it from what it was yesterday kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I guess, we were, like I said, we were certified organic and then we took the holistic management courses a couple of times. So it would just seem like a, a natural progression. And we were already kind of doing it and the regenerative egg, something else that was, you could really relate to and say, yes, this is what we need to do. And just like Lisa said, integrating some of our different enterprises where every disruption we do, whether it's grazing cows or having pigs in the bush or out in a field or having the bees, the chickens, we're doing, we're disrupting that land somehow but we got to be aware of that disruptions you need to make it better or worse and depending on what we want and to observe and adapt to what's what's going on with some of those things if we hit the pigs in the same bush every single year soon that bush is going to be right buggered but if we can move those pigs around and maybe they can interrupt some of the, the invasive species or some of that brush encroachment we can use the pigs to do different things or one of the big observations with the pigs i've noticed when i put them out in a field it probably reduces tillage paths for myself, just the way they turn the sod over. We're not using any herbicides or, or pesticides on our farm right now, so we rely on tillage, grow some of our crops, and those pigs just are, are amazing what they can do, and that's just an observation. And I don't have it dialed in, but it's just one of the neat things that I think we can grasp, it, but not on a big scale, right? Like a 20-acre field is where we are in paddocks, and those pigs, that's probably a stretch for them to get it covered and rooted up well enough to, to use the following season. But I'm just interesting to observe those pigs as they're out there. Like cows are interesting, but pigs are even, even more. And I know the pigs were one of the things that I had questions about when we were at your farm tour over the summer. How many pigs are you talking about on that 20 acre patch? Uh, it will depend. Like we have 10 sows gilt, so we maybe breed a year and then they would be out there rooting up ground in it like last year it was so dry it seemed like they they didn't root up because obviously it was just harder 
but in previous years when it would rain, it would just be, it would look like you like took a disc through there. But the problem is there's no furrow. It's just sod flipped every which way. And then when you cover it, when you drive over the track, you're, you're going pretty slow. The, the first pass is over there. But it depends on like, there's, I guess, 30 feeder pigs out in the bush right now. And they're, they're really good at eating different things and knocking bush back and some other, like I said, different invasive species. And I have one more question about the pigs. So Lisa and I chatted a little bit about this at that tour. Can you explain the fencing that you do for your pigs? Because you are moving them kind of each year, right? To different areas of the farm and just kind of how you do the fencing in order to keep it not super labor intensive. If people are wanting to try that. Yeah. For, for the older, I'll call it the sows, the breeding animals, we usually go like one strand high. And I, I say, well, the top of your rubber boot is where we're, we're aiming for. And if you can keep cows in with one strand, you can keep pigs in with one strand. Because the thing you got to remember about pigs is they, the first thing they touch something with is their wet nose. So they're going to get that initial shock on their nose. And I don't like getting shocked in my hand, let alone my nose. And then with the feeder pigs, we've been using some sheep netting. Just because sometimes when they get going out in the bush, they're a little bit smaller and maybe don't have the same experience as those sows. So we're using the electric sheep netting. But the thing you got to watch with the pigs is like the rooting action they got, they can root up and short out the wire. And then once one figures out they can cross the wire, they're pretty soon all out. <laughs> so it's, it's fun. There's, we've, we've had to coax the pigs back in a few times. And the little wee piglets, sometimes they get roaming around in different spots, whether they don't want to, they don't respect the wire sometimes that great. Thank you. Where do each of you spend the most time in your farming operation? Well, I would say, you know, I'm more involved in the small animals of the farm. Obviously I help when it comes to the cows, when there's help needed, but I'm more to the smaller animals, the pigs, you know, the chickens, turkeys, laying hens. That's basically where you'll find me doing the bulk of the chores, etc. And then the direct marketing is more more my thing I guess you could say as far as you know keeping up with the social media the communicating with the abattoirs and you know what we need for cuts the communicating with the, the customers delivery arrangements doing the delivery website advertising yeah that's that's me <laughs> so yeah that's where I spend a majority of my time I guess as far as the farming goes and I take the, the animals to the processor for the most part, and Lisa will pick the, the meat up. So it, <laughs> sometimes we get asked questions where we want to know different things about the meat or the animals, and it depends on who you're asking. <laughs> so a lot of times I'll defer people to Lisa. Just text Lisa and ask her about the pork or the beef or the chickens. I guess I spend quite a bit of my time looking after the cows. It's kind of our, our centerpiece operation, our cow-calf yearling operation. And then I'll, I'll use the word support role, whether it's crushing for the pigs or getting feed for the chickens yeah. and, and stuff like that, getting stuff set up for Lisa. The kids are getting old enough now. They've kind of had their own responsibilities, this, especially this past summer. Carrie's 11 and she was looking after the, the turkeys. And I mean, she did need some help with different things. And Chase is nine and he was feeding the, the sows and the, and the boars, I guess. And, and then the other two were Cole and Connor. Their, their job was to collect the eggs. So. Some days they needed help or a reminder to get out there, but 
that's where we kind of just support them and making sure they're getting stuff done. And more of my time is spent, yeah, whether it's moving cows or checking cows or getting stuff figured out for where we're going to winter feed and different stuff like that. It's kind of where probably I spend the majority of my time. That was a perfect answer because I was going to ask you next what roles your children play in the farm. So you've already answered that. And that's great. It sounds like it's a whole family business. Yeah, for sure. And they were involved right from a very young age. I mean, right when they're little, they had no, no choice, but they love to go and ride along in the ranger and go fencing or check the cows, move the cows, or, I mean, just go out and see the animals, right? When you're little, just seeing the animals and helping feed them was a big deal. And then as they've gotten older, they've, they've enjoyed being more involved and are able to take on a little bit more of that responsibility. So yeah, and I think they're old enough. They, I guess Chase has spent some time this past summer helping Grandpa do, do different things, and whether it's fencing or building new fence, and he enjoys that going to spend time with Grandpa and, and work with him. And it's just those little things I think that is interesting and and great on a multi generational farm. There's things you know that my mom and dad will teach the kids within the farm day that we we might have overlooked, and and sometimes it's just the observational education that they that they take on just being around the farm and, and I'll compare it to like the life cycle of an animal or or different things on the farm where there's life and death on the farm it's a big part of farming life where we, we need to learn to live with that and that's I think as a farm kid growing up that you can really learn a lot from seeing the life cycle of animals and also the benefit of hard work sometimes just because the time is that you should be done work but there's a job that needs to get done work's not done until the job's maybe done not because it's five o'clock or six o'clock or supper time the job needs to get done then we'll go in and do something and and just trying to make it fun sometimes for the kids whether it's you know moving cows they, they seem to really like that or driving helping drive the tractor is just what makes it makes it interesting on the farm but each kid's different and they got their own likes and dislikes and so it's good for us parents just learning too, I think, on to really engage what they what they would like to see done. Are there enterprises that the kids are asking you to add to the farm that are, say, animals that they're really interested in or something that they want to try that they're bringing forward to the operation as well? We had the sheep and that that's where we kind of started. Like when Carrie was just young, it was like, OK, well, what can we add? to the farm that she can be more involved in and be, cause I mean, you're not gonna let your three or two or three year old go and walk amongst the cows, right? But at least the sheep, like she could be in there, she might get knocked over or whatever, but just looking for some of those smaller animals. And, and like I said, just as things have changed, the decision was made to get rid of the sheep, but you know, having the diversity that we do, I don't know that they've asked for different animals, but. I guess this past summer, Chase, he's nine. He was looking to make some money somehow. So oh, he, yeah. he had an idea that he could maybe make some firewood and sell it. So we got out there and we did some of it. So he did some, and I don't know if he's marketed any firewood yet, but I think he's hitting up <laughs> grandma and grandpa for the first sale, but he hasn't uh, delivered on his promise yet. So there, there's things like that, that I guess that it's interesting to see how, how they can try and, like you said, create an enterprise that is something that we've got because I think as uh, as farmers sometimes we get locked into only producing commodities and 
-hmm. there's a lot of things that we can produce to make money or barter or trade with different things. And I think that's, that's what's interesting about living on a multi-generational farm where maybe your first trade or sales to grandma and grandpa, but it's still a sale that I can go spend money on something I want. I guess doing some value adding as well. Like Carrie was looking into, you know, wanting to do some, some pet food or using some of those other things that, you know, we basically already have. And I mean, she's giving it to our dog and our cats. And so, yeah, just little things like that, that they're more just kind of wanting to trial with and we'll see where it goes. They are, they're getting older, but they are still young. So they've got lots of years ahead of them to kind of come up with some ideas or avenues they want to take. And I guess Carrie was pretty good at wanting to do the the Hodgins farm videos. The first video we did was she had to write a script out for, and we had to read it and took probably, I don't know, five or six takes. And it was a rather cold day. And I remember holding the phone, my fingers were cold, but the last few she's done, she's kind of backed off now, but she would just shoot from the hip and she'll say, well, what do I need to say, dad? And so we'll go yeah. do it. And she'll just shoot from the hip and say, it might not be bang on, but she's, she's close enough that it's, it works out pretty good. And she was really good for it. And, and to me, that was a big win for us as parents, because she was rather pretty shy <laughs> and, and to put herself out there, it was, it was a pretty proud mom and dad moment, I think. Good for her. Are those yeah. on the website or on your Facebook page? Uh, yeah, some of them we have on social media and some of them we've uploaded to a YouTube channel just to be able to share through our newsletters and stuff like that. So we definitely have more that aren't, aren't all out there. So that'll be one of the projects here in the fall is to get more of those uploaded so that, you know, she can share, <laughs> share all of her videos as well. They're on the Facebook page, all right? There's quite a few on there. I have some questions now that are for Lisa, but Cam, if you want to chime in, you're more than welcome to <laughs> for any of them. Lisa, what do you enjoy most about your farming activities? I think what I probably enjoy most is, is the time spent with the family and, you know, the time that I'm able to spend with the kids. Like Cameron has already alluded to a little bit, the lessons to be learned on the farm and that we can teach our kids about hard work, responsibility you know, all those things and just being outside. I mean, I, I, I do like being outside and on the land and with the animals and, and really seeing the differences and what we're doing from year to year and, and the improvements that we are making. And we've already talked a little bit about the enterprises that you manage, but do you have future plans for any of these as far as building them or making changes to any of those that you can think of? Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, every year, you know, we kind of look back on the previous year, reflect and and make changes as needed. And as far as the chickens and turkeys go, like over the years, we've definitely tweaked our shelter design and adding, adding the pastured pipeline to be able to water them was kind of huge, right? And before that, it was the tank was getting low, bring it back to the yard, fill it up, take it back out and hook it up. So making little changes like that, that really made things more efficient. And so, yeah, I'm kind of happy there with how things are going. And as far as number wise, like I said, that just every year kind of looks a little different. I 
we've got some big numbers right now in chickens. I don't know that we'll grow too much more in the chickens, but yeah, you never know. And then as far as the direct marketing goes, I mean, the future plans are just to continue to share our story and what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing and, and just continue to grow that going to be um, looking at doing a website relaunch here right shortly Get, getting out there more and just sharing more via newsletters via social media maybe some education opportunities I don't know we've always kind of got a bunch of different ideas stirring it it's just when and how they they'll roll out is the question so <laughs> how to fit everything in yeah that's right that's right can you tell me a bit more about your chickens and turkeys? Because they're not just in a coop in the yard. And I think that for listeners, how you raise them, it would be an interesting piece to add. I'll start with the turkeys, I guess. So we're lucky we've got a friend, a neighbor who actually starts the turkeys from us. So we pick them up from her. They're usually two, two and a half weeks old. And then from there, we bring them home and basically transition them to living on the pasture. And these last few years, we started out having them in a chicken tractor that we would move daily, like we do the chickens, which I'll get to. Uh, but the last few years, we've been putting them in an old stock trailer, and then using the electric netting, similar to what we do with the pigs, but it's a more, it's a poultry netting. So the squares are smaller, so they can't sneak out. So that gives them a, a bigger area and more variety um, and just more more room to move. So they've got the the trailer for shelter, shelter and shade, you know, on those hot days because they are out in the pasture. And then they've got the netting, which is electrified, which of course is their protection from the predators and whatnot in and around the yard. And then yeah, our chore helpers to feed and water them on the daily basis because they have the netting and because they have a larger area, they aren't moved daily. It just kind of depends where they are and how much vegetation there is. So that's more of an observation and monitoring, you know, it might be every few days in the beginning, they might be there closer to a week kind of thing. The chickens over the years, we've, we've started them ourselves and we've been able to source started birds. So this year they came to us started by started, I mean, they're, they were about three and a half weeks old, which is kind of great timing for us because by then they're really starting to get their feathers and they're able, because we move them when we get them started, they go right out into the chicken tractors. We have them all set up. We bring them home and put them right into the, the chicken tractors. We put 150 in each chicken tractor and it's just a, a 10 by 20 garage shelter, I guess is what it is on a kid basically that'll pull along the ground and it's surrounded in in chicken wire to give them that that protection from the predators. I mean it keeps them in, keeps the predators out. Um, and then they have tarps over the top to give them that shade and protection from the wind, the rain, the sun. And our shelters are you know, some of the chicken tractor designs you've seen are just the low to the ground, you know, just a couple feet off the ground. Ours are actually, uh, I don't know how tall, about six feet in the middle kind of thing, because they do have the door and we can actually walk in them and 
And we just like that design of being able to walk in there and move things around and and not being on our hands and knees. And so that's worked for us. And so, yeah, they're in there and they have, we have the pastured pipeline hooked up to, we have a tank out there with them and then have garden hoses running to automatic waters in each shelter. So they, you know, have that constant flow of, of fresh water in there and they're fed daily. And we then every day we go out and move them ahead using a winch system, which just slowly pulls the shelter along so that they can kind of move along with it and get that new fresh piece of, of grass every day. So they seem, seem quite happy and healthy out there. And yeah, that's basically, basically it. I mean, we're always, if anyone has any questions or whatever, we're happy to share pictures, videos, mm -hmm. all that of how, what it actually looks like the shelters or how we're moving them. It kind of evolved as, as we first started, we kind of started with one or two, one shelter, I guess. And then, yeah. and then we were just moving them with the side-by-side -side or quad and depending on who was driving the ATV or inside moving the chickens ahead, there might've been some discussions about how fast things were being moved <laughs> to getting a, a winch on the back of the truck with a wireless remote. And it, it just seems to move at the right speed, like Lisa said. So it just was you know, a problem would pop, pop up and over a period of time, we kind of think about what would be the next best option is the same thing with the water system. We yeah. thought we need a little pump, but then actually the gravity fed out of the trailer works just as well. And we're not worrying about a, a 12 volt or a little solar pump to pump up water. So there's just, just little things like that. And then just, just parts of the design of the shelter itself has evolved in the, the years we've had the chickens and yeah, we just didn't hop into it and say, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. Problems popped up and we, we kind of yeah. worked through them. And made things more efficient, right? Like the whole beginning, someone would be running the quad or whatever, someone would be inside of the shelter, right? Just to keep, most of them get, you know, get the hang of it pretty quick. And once you start moving, they see that fresh grass and they're at the front of the shelter, just ready to go. But you always have those stragglers at the back that, that you kind of have to help prod along a little bit so someone would be in the shelter someone would be running the machine pulling and so yeah that's kind of where the idea of the winch came in and then the remote basically just made it efficient so one person i.e myself most days can go out there get it all hooked up and I can be standing in the shelter controlling the winch while moving any chickens ahead that need to be and actually I mean other than moving the truck and setting the winch up and all that, the kids can quite easily take the remote and go in the shelter and move the shelter ahead themselves. So things have evolved and just become more efficient as needs arise and as the years have gone on. That's brilliant. How many chicken tractors would you have say this year? Yeah, this year we had six. Okay. So we have 150 in each shelter. So we had, you know, just a little over 900 chickens this year. So. Wow. Good for you guys. <laughs> so along with moving the chickens, can you share a bit about what your typical day looks like managing the farm and having a young family? I guess a typical day during the school year, because a typical day during the summer, a typical day during the school year does look quite different. I mean, in terms yeah. of what's happening on the farm and the extra people that are around. <laughs> so we do have three kids in school full-time, one still at home. So a typical day 
now when the kids are in school, you know, getting them up, getting them off to school. And now it's, you know, it's cooler in the mornings, the season's changing. So I kind of try and spend the mornings finishing up some household chores, those kinds of things, and then try and spend a good portion of the morning doing the office work, whether it's social media, newsletters, just catching up on emails, you know, all of that stuff that, that comes along, you know, making delivery arrangements, all that, that direct marketing office kind of work. And then after lunch would, you know, maybe head outside, do some of the chores. Uh, Like Cameron said, now that the kids are older, they have their own chores and responsibilities. So it's still light out after school. The days haven't gotten too short. So they're still taking on those roles once they get home from school. But of course, I go out and assist where I need to be, do the check of the backpack, see what needs to be done for homework. And then as anybody can relate, then it's time for supper and try and get some time in to just enjoy being outside or do something with the kids inside, depending what the day, you know, there might be some extracurricular activities that'll fall into place there, especially you know, once we head here into hockey season, we seem to have some hockey players and a figure skater. And then we had a baseball player and soccer player last year. So those typically happen in the evenings as well. And, and then it's just bedtime routine and, and get everyone off to bed. So that's kind of a typical day as far as during the school year, during the summer and, you know, what would be, what would I would call more of our busier time, because of course we've got all the chickens and stuff out there, but I'm more apt to go out and do chores in the morning when it's cooler, get the chickens moved before the heat of the day, all that kind of stuff. And then after lunch, try and spend a little bit of time, do a little bit of the office work and then helping out wherever is needed. You know, there always seem to be some fence to move or animals to move or, you know, lending a hand here or there. And just with the days being longer, you can kind of tackle more of those, those projects that you maybe put off on other times. So yeah, just trying to fit in those chores and office work in and amongst the, you know, the everyday household meals, laundry chores, <laughs> in, you know, household chores, all that kind of stuff. It's definitely not a job that's for the faint of heart being (laughs) on the farm full-time and raising a family. What would you say are some of the challenges of raising children on the farm? I mean, they're, they're definitely, I guess, yeah, challenges would be a good word for it. The kids are getting older now. So I, I view it a little differently, but, and, you know, when talking to an audience who might be at different stages of this, like, there was definitely a lot of challenges when the kids were young, right? They couldn't, I couldn't leave them on their own, you know? So you were lugging around a car seat or putting a child in a carrier who wasn't able to walk yet, or was even if they were walking, they weren't able to keep up or, you know, those kinds of things. So just added a little bit of complexity there. And, you know, you were kind of running on their schedule, whether it's, you know, you had to be mindful of nap or nursing breaks or you know they were hungry you know as an adult you can say yeah I'm hungry but I'm just not quite done I'll I'll eat when I'm finished where (laughs) that doesn't always happen with the kids especially when they're younger you know you just kind of had to be a lot more mindful of their schedule and what they needed and I mean we really 
did have great kids and they were really easygoing and just kind of went with it. But yeah, definitely things we had to keep in mind. You know, now that they're older, obviously we're still mindful of their needs and their schedule. It's not like, no, you're just running, running with us now, but we don't have the naps anymore and they can make themselves a snack. They can go to the bathroom on their own. Like they can be in the house for a few minutes on their own, those kinds of things. So things have definitely got a little bit easier that way. You know, sometimes as far as direct marketing goes, it's sometimes scheduling's a little bit challenging. I find just, you know, it's not just me. I have to worry about it. It's like, okay, well, if I'm doing a delivery to Winnipeg, mm-hmm. what time am I leaving? Is Cameron home? Is he working this day off the farm? Like what's being done at the farm? Basically just making sure that the kids are looked after and kind of having that, that idea in the back of my mind of timing wise and trying to have that all scheduled. And I guess just basically it, one of the biggest challenges is probably being productive, especially during the summer, right? When there's four kids all at home. And like I said, they're good kids and they're very helpful, but sometimes, you know, as far as office work goes, it's, there's definitely less interruptions now that they're back in school. If that's a polite way to put it, is there anything else? Probably just trying to balance farm life, family life. Like they're great at helping, so making sure they get some time to to do what they want to do. Yeah, they're still kids. So yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly right. And that's that probably is one of the biggest challenges is just trying to find that balance of not all of our time spent with them is doing chores or doing farm stuff, right? Like having time doing other things, doing what they want to do, and like you said, just letting them be kids and and exploring and, you know, having the freedom to do what they want to do as well. What would you say you enjoy the most about raising your kids in the lifestyle of being on the farm? Well, I definitely love the freedom that it gives them just being out here and just being able to go outside and explore and, and do those things around the farm and the lessons that growing up on the farm and, you know, having some responsibilities and learning from grandma and grandpa, like, you know, the lessons and hard work and responsibility and just watching them grow and, and become their people through those means. And yeah, definitely. I mean, we've touched on it already, but just that relationship with the different generations on Cameron's grandma, which would be their great grandma's would love to come out and you know granny would share lots of well this is what things look like when I lived here and when I farmed and how she used to farm and you know it was really neat to see the kids interact that way and now seeing them interact with his mom and dad and whether it's learning from them or helping them and learning at the same time just that relationship that they have on the farm is is pretty special. Sorry to interject but also probably their creativity and Sometimes they fight, but also like there's a giant pallet fort they've built in the yard. So if we were in town, there's there's probably a dozen pallets screwed together with 300 screws and a tarp over it. So if we lived in town, that maybe wouldn't be allowed to stay up for very long. <laughs> but just that creativity and seeing them working together and using tools. And that's just what's interesting about living on the farm where, yeah, it's maybe not the most sightly thing, but that's their pride and joy. You know, they, they got to use some of those tools doing other work and now all of a sudden they're 
they're using a drill to screw the screws in and a saw to cut board. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess I can't really give you heck because we were doing it three days ago. So there's things like that, that, that makes it enjoyable. It's a pretty special way to raise your kids. I think if there was a message that you could send to other moms who are raising young kids on the farm and maybe coming across some challenges, what do you think that would be? This too shall pass. Like <laughs> I, I know when the kids were younger, it was like, Oh, like, you know, cause there definitely is those hard days and you're like, man, like this is hard. I can't get through this day, but it does pass. And now looking back, it's like, wow. Like how did we do that when, you know, we were lugging around an infant and a toddler and, and all of that, but it'll pass and the days go by quickly. They definitely do. And really just to like, don't be afraid to ask for help, whether that asking grandma and grandpa to watch the kids for a little bit so you can get something done or, you know, having a babysitter come in and watch the kids or maybe it's, maybe it's the housework that you want help with, right? Like maybe it's not the kids that you want the help with, but maybe it, okay, well have someone come in and clean, help you clean your house then, or, you know, just seek help in whatever, whatever way is going to fit with what you want and, and what's most important to you. And I say like, find your people, right? Have those people that you can talk to, vent to, cry with, whatever it might be, whether they're in the farming, you know, lifestyle or not, like they, they would each have something that they could offer. But I mean, there definitely is, I'm, you know, I have friends that do the farming and all of that. And there's something really refreshing about really relating to someone who understands what you're talking about, right? And you find the right person, they can definitely try and relate and understand, and they'll definitely listen to you and help you through it. But it is refreshing to talk to someone who knows what you're talking about, who's maybe been through it, can offer some advice or some help or, or just someone to talk to. So that would probably be my biggest thing is it, the, the hard days will pass. They will come, but they will pass. And don't be afraid to ask for help and find your people and, and just connect with them. You're definitely not alone. I think that's great advice. Thank you. I have a few questions for Cameron and Lisa, you can jump in on his questions okay. <laughs> if you'd like to as well. Sure. What do you feel has been one of the most impactful lessons you've learned on the farm? I guess probably the biggest overarching thing I've learned is specifically talking about grazing planning. I'll use it as an example. When we first started, I thought, you know, you needed to have a plan and stick to the plan. And I think a lot, a lot of times in our mind, whether it's in farming or in life, we have an idea how we want things to be laid out. And when they start not going to that plan, then you get stressed. So one of the biggest things is just kind of adjust, but the power of observation and see why is it maybe not going to the plan and then maybe making the adjustments from there. So just, just the power of observation is one of the biggest things because there's certain things that go on around here. Well, you think, well, why did that happen? And, you know, you can kind of speculate as much as you want and then maybe kind of adjust. So that's probably one of the biggest things in farming and maybe in just life in general that I've really recognized whether, because there's sometimes going back to grazing, I just have a real passion for it, but you think the cows should love this grass are going on and you're moving them today, but they're not. Why are they upset and why are they not then to observe and maybe take that into consideration if you're in the future. So that's one of my 
biggest lesson I've learned and probably patience. Some, I don't have a whole lot of patience and realizing I can't fix everything now or get stuff done. Just have a little bit of patience and observe is one of the biggest things I've learned from farming. And I need to remind myself that quite often that I need to have more patience. <laughs> I think we all do. <laughs> it's one of those things. To you, what is the most important part of raising your family on a regenerative farming operation? And we've kind of talked a little bit to, to this already, but if you can expand on it a little bit, that would be great. Yeah, I think Chantel, just that informal learning when the kids are out with you on the side by side moving fence or fencing and seeing the things that whether it's nature out there or how the cows are interacting with what's going on around them. And then just, you know, whether it's the pigs, just that learning process and then to see them like certain things and we're not just stuck in, we're just cow calf or we're just pigs. The kids can kind of figure out what they want. Maybe it's not this. Maybe they want to do something over here, like you alluded to before about different enterprises and just hoping to keep that as broad as we can. When we were growing up, we were, we were pretty lucky, lucky to learn a whole bunch of different things. And I'm hoping to offer that to my kids too. And I guess we, we need to farm regeneratively to ensure there's stuff there for our children and future generations. So I guess we're, we're kind of trying to do that. Um, so it's, yeah, that's just one of the biggest things I've, I really enjoy about with improving the soil and the ecosystem, but also making sure your family interacts and understands that. So because this is the beef and forage podcast, we do have to talk about cows, which I know is your passion and your grazing. Can you tell me a bit about how you manage your livestock in order to meet their needs? while also meeting the needs of the land and the ecosystem. I guess I'll go back to that observation, Chantel, like just to see whether the cows are like, whether they're full and content and how they're doing. I mean, there's, there's a lot of numbers we can start. We can, we need to be profitable. So whatever our goal is, you know, have a, a good breed up or a good gain on different animals. So it's observing and, and kind of marking that down and year from year and day to day. So it's just, observing and making adjusting changes and trying to mimic nature, but also take advantages of, of opportunities when they present themselves with, within the pasture. I guess I, for me, I really know when I've screwed up grazing cows when we're moving them every day, if you go out there and they get up and they start walking at you, you didn't give them enough yesterday. If you go out there and you start calling them to be moved and they don't want to get up, <laughs> I gave them too much. So just, just little things like that is I guess how we're trying to meet their needs. And, and sometimes in the past we put mineral out and they don't touch it. So we got to mix it with something else and, and just little observational things, what they eat at certain times of the year and, and see how they do. And obviously I think a lot of people have heard this, there's certain cows that will fit the, fit the criteria you're wanting as you make these changes throughout our farming career. I guess we started grazing, bale grazing quite a few years ago and then grazing stockpiled grass. And I mean, we just didn't all transition to say, we're going to graze in January and December, stockpiled grass year one, right? The cows also had to make the change because it's probably a big thing for them to say, huh, going from the yard, <laughs> going out eating bales in the field. And the thing that kind of blows me away is the cows you think that should do good, maybe aren't the ones that do that great and the vice versa. Like you're like, this cow's going to fall out. She's going to show up open, but no, she's pumped out calf <laughs> every year off time. So there's a lot to be said about uh, mother nature selecting the right things. Sometimes we got to just let it, let it happen. And going back to that patience thing, I went through and picked all the cows. I thought they were going to be good bale grazers or winter grazers. Maybe we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing today. 
Can you tell me a little bit just about the structure of your cattle operation? You have the cow calf side. You also have some grassers. Can you share what size of herds you're talking about your daily moves and that kind of thing too, just so if listeners aren't familiar with you, then they have a bit of an idea of that as well. Yeah, I guess between my dad and myself, we've got separate operations, but we run our, our cows together and do quite a few things together. So between dad and I, we got about 200 cow-calf pairs there. And then anywhere, depending on the year, could be 100 to 200 yearlings. This last year, we backed off a little bit with being a little bit drier. So they're kind of two separate herds. And uh, the cows, you move them daily or every other day. Yearlings, we're trying to manage the yearlings for performance. So we were trying a few different things to get us as much gain on them because with those yearlings we also have our our grass finishers so we're trying to get some pretty decent gains on them and with the cows for me I'm trying to get as many days grazing out of our pastures or our perennial pastures as I can while trying to maintain that body condition and it seems to be it always seems to be something you always got to be constantly observing to see what's the condition and how much grass is ahead of them and what's it look like one of the big things I've noticed this year is we're, when we're moving those cows now you look out across the paddock and it's got, looks like rank dead grass. Right now we're just grazing everything once this year. So nothing's going to get grazed twice with our cow herd this year. So some rank dead grass. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? But then as I drive through it with the side-by-side or quad, I'm noticing a lot of lush green grass in the bottom. And I think it's, the cows are doing good right now on it. And then, so it's, it's nice to see that there's, you know, there's a lot of forage there, but there's also a lot of energy in that forage for them as we get going on in the fall here. So that's, that's exciting to me to see some of that stuff. That's where this longer recovery is working out right now. And can you also share when you calve and when you wean your calves? We were calving uh, middle of April into May. We're maybe backing that up just a little bit. So they're mostly calving in, in May because with that April snowstorm this year, we started calving. It was right around that snowstorm mm-hmm. and we quickly realized we're not set up for winter calving here and it's uh, sort of we backed it up into May and we'll wean you know depending probably in December end of November depending on what the weather is like and what's going on around the farm and I guess making it work around days off and that sort of thing too so and uh, and dad's schedule as well different things like that so and I guess we're trying to graze as late into the year as possible so it's the same thing trying to get keeping weight on those cows going into the winter to the winter easy like last winter I think everybody's pretty aware that last winter wasn't a, a good winter <laughs> the winter cows but it's uh we got through that one hopefully we can get through any of them so that's an observation there what are some of your upcoming plans or trials with enterprises on the farm uh, I don't know because I guess we don't really like Lisa alluded to earlier we always try and just to try something on a smaller scale I guess we're always kind of leery about jumping in with both feet and trying something big and investing something so it's it's always smaller scale and I guess we see a lot of potential in for me I see a lot of potential in small acres around the farm to develop different things as as I do on on a bigger acre scale like I think I don't know we've been thrown around education a little bit and whether it's for consumers or producers, I guess we really like talking and sharing our story and, and learning from other people as well. And, and, uh, but it's a matter of how that is going to roll out. Like we, we really enjoy sharing with yeah. people, but also different people's insights. Cause some, we've had a few 
tours here and and a lot of times we learn as much as what we're, we're showcasing when people come and say well why do you do this and you're like why do we do that <laughs> so i guess that to maybe answer that chantelle i don't know as far as enterprises and i don't know if we're going to make any any big big changes i think the education is so important and the fact that you're willing to share your story and just give people the idea especially the people that maybe didn't grow up on a farm and that farming background like this is how we do things and this is why we do them. And especially in the way that you're doing them, I think is so important to share, to share that story. Cameron, you're involved with the Woodworth Grazing Club as well. What are you excited about in regards to that grazing club in the coming years? It's always been a highlight of mine. There's a summer tour every year and I, I really enjoy it. And I, there's kind of two generations of the, on the board members of the Woodworth Grazing Club. Pat Wall and Robert Alexander kind of kept this grazing club going and I I really give kudos to them to keep it going because it's there's a lot of information locally and I think a lot of information shared and a lot of learning can happen locally because you can see stuff progress as producers make changes on their own farm you maybe go for a drive that way to see you know how that water system's working out or how that crop's going that they're you know that producer's trying so that's what I'm really excited about because it's it's always a good time and there's always something that you can take away from a neighbor who's four or five miles away or 10 miles away. Sometimes we travel quite a ways and spend quite a bit of money to go learn stuff from, I'm not going to discredit them, but experts, but a lot of times there's a lot of innovation and neat things happening very, very close to home. I would agree. You're also a mentor with the Farm Resilience Mentorship Advanced Grazing Project. Can you share what this position means to you and what you hope to see come from this work? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of an honor to be involved in this because it's, I really, like I said, I got a passion for grazing and I still feel that I'm learning a significant amount. What excites me really about it is that just to go and talk to other people and see other people's operations and help them maybe not screw up some of the things I screwed up and, and learn a little bit from them and expand my network of, of grazing knowledge. Cause there's a, like I said about the grazing club, kind of the same idea. There's a lot of knowledge locally. And, and I guess I'm excited about grazing cause we've seen some success here at our place with making some change management changes and, and trialing different things. And yeah, I just kind of enjoy helping people and, and going down that road and, and seeing people's successes. And you definitely have a great personality to be in that role because I think you're just, you're so personable and you're so relatable and you're willing to share those successes and maybe some of those challenges that you faced and how other people can maybe work around it without having those same problems, which I think is great. So a little bit of a shameless plug for your business for listeners who are interested in purchasing grass fed or pasture raised animals. Will you have anything available kind of when this comes out? And if not for next season or next year, what could people be looking for if they wanted to purchase some of those products? So, yeah, we do all of our, our chickens are done in the summer. So we do still have chickens available. Turkeys, I, I can't say for sure whether there'll be any of those left or not. Those are being done next week. So it's possible we'll still have a few turkeys, but but we may not. But like I said, we do still have chickens available. And then we we have beef and, and the pork, which will be available coming in the fall. And we offer a wide variety of options when it comes to the beef and pork, like right from individual cuts to different different sizes, small, 
large different variety packs that we've put together right to being able to customize a quarter, a half or a whole, depending on the animal. So yeah, just trying to give lots of different options that way. Honey will be harvested here in the next little bit. So hopefully that'll, that'll be back on because we are completely sold out of that right now. So hopefully that'll be back on there. And we do deliver. I'll I'll add that in, I guess, if there's another question. (laughs) So we've talked about a little bit about where people can find you, but if they want to find out more information about your operation and all the things that you're doing, or if they want to contact you in order to purchase products, can you kind of give me the best places to contact you? And we can add any links as well into the show notes. Probably one of the best ways to follow us is through social media. We're on both Facebook and Instagram. Getting onto the website and signing up for our newsletter because I'm really trying to really promote that and really try and put a lot of information and and stuff into newsletters. So then that way um, people can sign up for the newsletter and get that right to their inbox and know what's going on, what specials are coming up, what's available, delivery dates, all that good stuff. So yeah, social media, website, email always is an option. Definitely if people are just wanting to learn more, just to follow along and, and, you know, fire any questions they may have through email and, and we're happy to, happy to share. Perfect. And what is the name on your Facebook and Instagram accounts? It's Hodgins Farm. Can you also share your website address? Hodginsfarm.com. And I will add both those into the show notes. If listeners are interested in finding out more about the Woodworth Grazing Club events, what is the best way for them to find out that information? Well, right now we don't have a social media account or website or anything, but probably the best way is just to email me and say they're wanting to get on the list. It's always interesting. Like, I think, I guess, just going back to the grazing mentorship and the Woodworth Grazing Club, it's all just reach out if anyone's got questions or comments. It's always really enlightening to me to, to get a group of producers together and talk about different things. And what really is really, really surprising is you come away, you were going to hear this keynote speaker or see something specific at a tour. And it's not that you don't walk away with the big mind altering thing. It's something that you didn't even think was there or someone you talked to was like, well, so, so-and-so tried this. I mean, why don't I try that? Getting producers together in a group it's really uh, intriguing to me and you see stuff happen. There's a lot of really good conversation that comes out of getting farmers together. It's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot to be said, the power of sharing and the power of just getting together with like-minded individuals. And we try and share some of the, the local tours and grazing. Like we try and share some of that information on our, our social media and stuff as well. But Cameron, what is your email? And then I can add it as well if people are wanting to find out that information. Cameron Hodgins 2 at hotmail.com. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share about Hodgins Farm or about anything else we talked about today with our listeners? I, know, I guess just, just thank you for, for <laughs> yeah. doing this, Chantal. I guess thank you for reaching out. And it's, it's enjoyable. We enjoy sharing what we're doing. And we also enjoy learning from other people. So I guess if other people... Don't be afraid to open your doors because it's, I know the first time we really, was it open farm day or we got a tour? We, we were so, so concerned about it. We did have everything just so, and, and then 
everything wasn't so and it all it all worked out so it's been it's easy don't be afraid to open your doors if and show what, what you're doing because if somebody's asking you there's probably a reason why someone's asking you because you're doing something interesting and multiple people could benefit from part of being open is just you know being transparent and being honest like not not everything's going to go according to plan and not everything is all you know happy and smooth and whatever and just sharing some of that like these are some of the challenges we face you know this is what we learn from it like every everything that happens I guess is take it as a learning opportunity you know one way or the other there's something to be learned from everything you do and don't be afraid to to ask for help to reach out to to anybody to your neighbor to you know someone you've listened to on a podcast do a google search whatever there's there's definitely lots of information out there so I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up thank you both so much for joining me I know I have so many more questions and so many more things that I think that we can learn from what you guys are doing and just the things that you're trying and I'm really really glad that it worked out to be able to chat with you guys today well, thank you very much. <laughs> the research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without funding from the province of Manitoba, Government of Canada, and Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as partnership with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Beef Producers, Ducks Unlimited Canada, and the Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beef and Forage Roundup. For more information on the on-farm projects or upcoming extension events, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at mbbeefandforage. For full project reports and more information about MBFI, please visit our website, mbfi.ca. If you have feedback on the show, questions about content, are interested in becoming a project supporter, or want to submit a proposal for a research project topic, please email information at mbfi.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an upcoming episode. We've got lots to share.